Good evening. Norman Bates in Psycho. Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. These are the horrifying killers that are in our fiction. But tonight on True Crime, we're going to talk about the one man who inspired them all, whose crimes are too horrifying to put on any movie at all. We're going to talk about Ed Gein, the butcher of Plainsville, Wisconsin, tonight on True Crime. The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on this is Sunday. About the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, giddy up, wolf pack. This is failure to stop. This is the number one platform where we entertain and inform first responders and their friends. Tonight is True Crime Tuesday. This is a show that's designed to keep you up all night as you're working third shift. It's a true crime show that's different than all the others because this show is hosted and produced by law enforcement officers and first responders. I'm joined with Kendra, a former police officer who has investigated several bizarre homicides. I myself have only investigated one, but hey, one's more than most of those basic bitches on those other true crime podcasts. <laughs> Producing our show tonight is Josh. He's kind of behind the scenes. He has also solved many bizarre and puzzling homicides. Uh, tonight, uh, we're going to break down the case of Ed Gein, brought to you by our own Kendra Drama. How are you doing tonight, Kendra? I'm good. I'm excited because this is the first of five. There's five Tuesdays in October. Um, Bizarre. Yeah. And the, the fifth one happens, is... It only happens every 1,000 years if I know my <laughs> calendars. Well, and the fifth one's on Halloween, too. So that's pretty ridiculous. But It'll also be um, a full moon and it'll be Friday the 13th at night. So I'm looking forward to it. On Tuesday the 31st, yes, it will be Friday the 13th. Well, it's an anagram. <laughs> you switched 13 and 31. Do you see how spooky that was? That's very spooky. I'm scared. Very, very <laughs> fucking spooky. Uh, for those of you who are confused, I am sitting in for Eric Tanzi tonight. Eric uh, has uh, created 14 shows since last week. He is currently <laughs> doing three of those at once through the miracle of technology and simulcasting. He uh, it does not sleep anymore. So I'm going to step in for this week and host. I've done it twice before, but this is my first time hosting with Kendra. And uh, before we get into it too deeply, Kendra, I guess I want to pay the bills. Do you mind if I just do some quick ad reads before we get into all the guts and gore and horror of this show? I mean, they did save you a Granada, so go ahead. It's pronounced Granada. <laughs> this is why we can't just do texts. <laughs> she and I only communicate through texts. And then we get together and talk face to face on the internet on the show one day per week. And uh, she's just not, she's not old enough to remember Grenada people. And, and that's fine. The show is brought to you by officersafety.com. Go to officersafety.com forward slash Wolfpack. Folks, it's political season out there. You're a police officer. You're in a dangerous line of work. Every single moment, somebody's looking to have you screw up in the line of duty and put you on CNN, dox you, make your life miserable. This has happened. Hundreds of times that we've seen going back to 2008, especially in 2016, especially in 2020. Well, wouldn't you know it? 2024 is an upcoming season when police officers are very likely to be lambs led to the slaughter for political purposes. And who knows? Tonight could be the night where you're just doing your duty. You're having to make a difficult decision. 
and uh, it could get out there. So go to officerprivacy.com forward slash Wolfpack now so that you can feel safe again. What is officerprivacy.com? Well, it's a firm that uh, stops people from finding you and doxing you. Anyone with an internet connection can quickly find out your home address. Data brokers are exposing private information on people, particularly police officers. You can go to search sites. You can find people. I know this. I use search sites to find people all the time as a 911 dispatcher. If they dial 911 and I don't have any information on them, I sometimes will resort to these sites and I use it to find people to keep them safe. But other people won't use it to keep you safe. They're going to use it to make your life miserable. So go to officerprivacy.com forward slash Wolfpack. We have a discount code there. They can offer you many tools uh, that you can use to protect yourself and your family. It's uh, just like another piece of insurance. You're already in this dangerous line of work. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Do it now before it's too late. Don't be looking back, you know, six months or a year from now wishing that uh, I had just done what John said and got officerprivacy.com. They're going to give you all the tools. They're going to make it very simple for you. and They're going to make it possible for you to protect your family. Of course, the show is also brought to you by Ghostbed. We all love Ghostbed because Ghostbed has been here supporting Failure to Stop since the very beginning, since even in the old uh, drinking bros days. What I love about Ghostbed is that they uh, have their adjustable bases and the proprietary cooling technology. And of course, Kendra, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it is literally the only mattress that is made in the United States of America. All the other ones are made just offshore in these huge mattress (laughs) ships that just create like defective, terrible mattresses. And they're out there scheming on their in their in their oceans. And just saying, how can we get cops and first responders <laughs> to have a terrible night's sleep? Because we we don't love cops like Ghostbed does. And we're here to ruin their lives for them. <laughs> so Ghostbed.com is saying, well, you know, easy market niche. All we have to do is make a, a good good mattress and bring it to first responders. Go to Ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack uh, or use the offer code Wolfpack. Tell them that Tansy and the gang sent you. No matter what discounts currently going on at the site, we offer 40% off. But sometimes it goes higher than that. And uh, you can use that to get a good night's sleep. You can try it out for 101 nights. And if you don't like it, you can send it back. No hard feelings. We know that's not even going to happen. Sleep on a ghost bed tonight. Folks, if you like failure to stop, support ghost bed. They've been here since the very beginning. We love ghost bed. And finally, before we get to uh, something disgusting, I want to talk about something (laughs) delicious. That, of course, is factor meals. If you like me and you live in the middle of nowhere, or maybe you're just a busy person. You're You're a police officer. You're a paramedic. You're a 911 dispatcher. Maybe you're a podcaster and you just don't have a lot of time because you do over 400 shows a week. Well, you need fresh, delicious food brought to you. Factor Meals is going to do that. This is fresh, never frozen food. This is not a TV dinner. We are not hawking Hungry Man stuff here. I have had these meals. Kendra made the unfortunate choice not to join Failure to Stop until after Factor Meals was already a partner. They sent everybody at Failure to Stop Factor Meals, the free promo. I get to try all of it. It was all delicious. I went with the uh, the keto package. Basically, it gives me uh, protein and high fat so that I can stay within my diet. Whatever your diet is, Factor Meals can help you have delicious food brought right to your house. Don't play the Bidenomics game where you're running back and forth to the grocery store, cooking for yourself when you just don't have time. If you're on duty tonight, make sure you have a Factor Meal ready to go. Make those other people in your squad room or your ambulance bay look like a bunch of chumps because you're going to be eating meals prepared by a chef. Go to Factor Meals. Wolfpack 50 is our offer code. The bills are paid, Kendra, which means <laughs> it's time to be disturbed out of our minds by the true crime case of Ed Gein. Now, I'm a little bit familiar with Ed Gein. As I mentioned at the top of the show, he inspired a lot of people, particularly fictional people like Norman Bates. Yeah. 
Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Buffalo Bill. Aspects of the actual Ed Gein case were used to craft all of those stories. But of course, the real Ed Gein case is so horrifying that uh, what you see in Psycho, what you see in Silence of the Lambs, what you see in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's all a little bit uh, changed and it's all a little bit watered down because frankly, the real Ed Gein case is, is too horrifying. And I, when I read when I was reading Mindhunter, I know John Douglas, who's the creator of uh, profiling at the FBI, he was a uh, he actually interviewed Ed Gein and said that he was too psychotic to even interview. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he found it particularly disturbing that while serving out his sentence in Wisconsin, he was allowed to work in the leather shop. Kendra. <laughs> well, that's a tidbit that I did not know before now. And that's really disgusting considering what what he did. Um, as I was saying before, today is the first of five Tuesdays, and every Tuesday we're going to do an episode um, based on characters, if you will, or cases that inspired horror movies and things like that to celebrate Halloween. Sorry, there's a dog trying to break in here. <laughs> well, you, you Hopefully you can't that. hear that. You sure did save the worst for first because Ed Gein is uh, probably... <laughs> The most horrifying guy that I ever read about. When I was in college, we would read about these people in deviant behavior, abnormal psychology, and all these mm-hmm. classes. It's kind of the appeal of going to college and getting to read about these things. And I'm not sure I ever read of anybody worse than this guy. So, yeah, he's pretty. I don't know what we're doing the rest of the month. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't either. So we'll see how it goes. So, let's all right, let's just get into ideas it. First, take us back yes. to the 50s. Take us back um, to Wisconsin. <laughs> Okay. We're going back to Wisconsin. We've been in Wisconsin a couple times on the show. Um, <laughs> anyway, this starts in uh, 1906 when Ed Gein was born. He was born in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which is kind of a semi-populated area. Um, back then, I'm sure it wasn't as populated, but whatever. Um, he was born to Augusta and George Gein. George was a drunk, and Augusta was a a very hard woman is how she was described. She was extremely religious, very um, prudent, strict. She didn't feel like George was a good father, so she took over the family. She made all the money. She set all the rules. She raised their two boys. Um, and she was very, very religious. So her style of parenting back then was just very abusive, really. That's what it boils down to. Um, She isolated her two boys from the rest of the world, wouldn't let them go to school. She told them that girls were bad, but like they'll send you to hell because they're all whores. (laughs) Basically, it's what she would tell these children. We have no way of verifying or disproving that at this point. Go ahead. That all women are whores. We have no way of disproving. (laughs) We have no way of disproving Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm just saying. In 19... no... <laughs> yeah, there's no evidence for or against. I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> in, in 1914, they moved to Plain, Plainfield, Wisconsin, which was extremely small. And even now, um, there's like a thousand people that live there, maybe. Back then, it was about 300, yeah, which is half the size of my town. And mm-hmm. uh, where, where I live, like you get gas. And uh, uh, 
you know, all of your groceries in the same place and usually clothes too. So <laughs> I can't imagine how it was back then. Yeah, this is the early 1900s. So it's like, there's literally nothing. And they moved to a farm with this woman who's doing everything pretty much. She owns, she owns a, uh, a store. I believe it was a grocery store, something like that. And, and George is a drunk. The boys are working this farm um, and being abused and isolated and all that good stuff. So she's really laying the groundwork for Ed's future here. Um, in 1940, George, Ed's father, passes away. And by now, um, I can't really do math here. He's in a, He's like 35 at this point, Ed. So am I right on that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm talking like math that. you are. I'm live well, on the internet. I can't do math. Thousands of people are watching right now. I can't use a calculator. That's impossible. Um, George and Henry, his brother, take over helping out at the farm. They take odd jobs here and there. Believe it or not, Ed was a well-known and well-trusted babysitter, um, which is terrifying. But Henry would state later that he was worried about Ed because he was getting really, really close to their mother, like more than he ever was. And mm -hmm. even Henry was realizing this is really unhealthy, mm -hmm. kind of creepy. They're um, like, it's just like that movie Psycho, even though that exactly. movie hasn't been made yet. In the future, it'll be like that movie. Well, their relationship definitely inspired that um, mother-son thing in Psycho and probably in uh, Friday the 13th as well. Have you seen that? No. Why did you have to ask me if I saw it? I was pretending <laughs> I saw it. I'm the only one on earth that hasn't seen it. Every time I try to watch it, something terrible happens. Like they were showing it at a movie theater during uh, COVID during 2020 when no movies were coming out. So they're showing old movies. I'm on my yeah. way over to see Friday the 13th. And it was in a horrible car accident. So I never got to saw it. <laughs> you never <laughs> did get to saw it. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> well, you should watch it before the end of this month and let me I was know what trying, you think. Well, last week I was trying to watch it in my basement and I had it in the DVD player and I went up to grab my popcorn out of the kitchen and I came down the stairs and I fell down the stairs and I broke my neck and I never got to saw it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. <laughs> Oh, my God. Anyway, so <laughs> about four years go by where Henry and Ed are helping Augusta run things. They're trying to be, you know, good sons and helping out. Henry starts to kind of separate a little bit from the dynamic, and he becomes more verbally critical of Augusta and the way that she raised them. Because, again, she was extremely harsh and abusive and made them feel like they were disgusting for being human males with feelings toward women and his growing worry for Ed was contributing to all of this. Um, in 1940, go ahead. You were going to say something. Thank you. You're very intuitive. I, I read a lot of Stephen King books mm -hmm. and there's a lot of Stephen King books in which you have uh, someone who grows up to be some kind of killer. I'm thinking in the move in the book, uh, the dead zone specifically, there's a killer uh, who likes to, 
he's he's a police officer and uh, he uh, he rapes and murders and disembowels people. And when he was a child, his mother was uh, devoutly religious and would tell him that women were the the source of all condemnation and damnation. And she would torture him. This is fictional. This is in the book. But, uh, and, and, you know, when he discovered himself, she put a clothespin on his uh, on his uh, penis and uh, made it a source of pain for him. Uh, to teach him that uh, sexuality and pain were the same thing, which of course warped oh, that's him when it warped him when uh, he became an adult. So I just have to wonder, do, you know, does Stephen King look at cases like this too for inspiration? Oh, I'm sure he does. Cause that sounds pretty similar to, and Carrie, I'm thinking of yeah. all of the characters in these movies and these stories where a super religious mother completely just ruins kids because they think, if I make it miserable or some sort of punishment, it'll go away, but it doesn't go away because you're a human being. And that's like one of the things that humans do. So I don't know what they were thinking. It never works. No, never, never. Um, well, they, they end up being worse than normal. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely way worse than normal. <laughs> so in 1944, which is four years after uh, George passes away, Henry and Ed are fighting off a brush fire that's encroaching on their farm. So something kind of weird happens while they're fighting this fire. Um, Ed loses sight of Henry somewhere. He doesn't see him all night long. He wakes up, he calls law enforcement to come help. When they show up, Ed takes them immediately to Henry's body. No. who was missing somewhere on this farm. He takes them right to him. Henry is found face down on a piece of earth that is untouched by this roaring fire that was coming to burn the house down. Oh, yeah, I, I get what's going on here. Go mm -hmm. ahead. And they, they collect him. They take him for autopsy. He had bruising all over his head and his face. But... For whatever reason, um, their initial thought was it's probably a heart attack or asphyxiation because there's no way that Ed would ever kill anyone. Ed was seen was seen as a very nice, harmless boy that respected his mother and he helped with the children. Like he was well liked in the community. So for whatever reason, they did not suspect foul play, and his death was officially ruled um, an asphyxiation. Now. This is where you and I come in, because so often, you know, on true crime podcasts, the the basic white girl between sips of her lattes is now, how could the police do that? How could they miss that? It's so obvious. They found the boy clearly beaten up, surrounded by a fire that was bound to destroy him as evidence, but it got out of hand. Clearly just, you know, he had a heart attack despite being a healthy young boy. What are these police doing? Kendra, you have investigated several homicides, right? I mean, I, I, I ask you that hoping that the answer is yes, but you have done done that, haven't you? I've done some initials. I mean, I was patrol, so I didn't investigate from start to finish. But yeah, okay. So, on so you're so you're 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 Plainsfield PD. You're on the scene. You see this little boy lying in this field, and there's this raging fire. You're just ready to write it off, or what? Well, just to clarify, Henry and Ed are adults at this point. Oh. Um, but I would, in 2023... You'd at least put some tape around it, I right? would be going, yes. I would be 
very suspicious that first of all, Ed was like, I don't know where he is. Let me take you right to him. <laughs> and that there's no fire. Now that could be, I mean, asphyxi asphyxi <laughs> asphyxiation. <laughs> That's you. why I'm here. <laughs> asphyxiation. <laughs> I feel like it would be really hard to asphyxiate outside. When you're not, it is well. When you're in an when you're in an environment that's dense in oxygen, it's very very hard to do that. Yeah, so that's a little strange. The heart attack is a little off too because of the. Well, I mean, he wasn't back then. Who knows? He wasn't that old, but I don't know what the heart disease stats were back then. Uh, but he, he probably had, didn't probably didn't have those stats. What probably what, not. Uh, what small town police officers love to do, at least in fiction, I read a lot of fiction, even though my my actual life is filled with crime. I read a lot of crime <laughs> fiction. It's always like some drifter came to town and he's on his way. So even though I didn't solve the case, we're all safe. Reelect me for sheriff this fall, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of strange that they didn't do anything. Um, I, because of the bruising, if there was no like bruising, I guess you could be like, well, it was a heart attack, but... I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe they just maybe, didn't want to deal with it. Maybe, maybe bruises are kind of common everyday things. And maybe, you know, living on a farm, you're bound to get bruises. But it really all depends. Like, is it press marks on the throat? Like, you know, that's, he'd probably didn't sustain that, you know, crawling around in a barn. So it's really hard to know without, yeah. without more specific details. And it's 1944. So, like, their documentation is like, there were bruises about his head and face. Like, that's it. There's no specificity to the bruising. But it is a little strange. I mean, I I would try a little bit harder, but it's 1944 in a town with probably, like you said, like 300 people. Um, and, so, and the war's odd. So they're like, should we try harder to investigate? <laughs> My God, man, it's World War II right now. We don't have time they're, for anything else. They're burnt out. They're like, eh, maybe Henry was a piece of crap and maybe. gave them trouble. Who knows? I maybe. don't know. <laughs> maybe. That's entirely possible. I actually like that theory. Yeah. Because he was he was kind of like rebelling against his upbringing, and um, the perception was probably that he was really mean to his mom, because Ed was like her best friend, so, and Ed was really nice and well liked. And I mean, he was a Henry was a handyman, so he got around the town. If he had a bad attitude, I'm sure people didn't like him. I mean, I don't know. It's I don't possible. Know any of that information. It's also possible that you know because he's fruit of that same terrible tree that maybe he wasn't really a good guy either. Yeah. Yeah, that's best, very possible. Best left unsolved. He was kind of an asshole, so we're just going to not even <laughs> solve it. I'm retracting yeah. my drifter theory to say, like, the town, you know, we keep our secrets around here. It's better <laughs> left that he's gone. Okay, so a year later, in 1945, Augusta finally passes away after a series of strokes, leaving Ed all by <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> that old bitch. She's gone. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> so, Hell yeah. Augusta. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Officer Randy. Shit. Oh, shit. That's my nickname now. You and Drew were trying to come up with a nickname for me. That's it. Officer Randy. <laughs> well, it's not Officer Randy. It's Officer Randy. Folks, if you don't get that reference, then you need to subscribe to Patreon. We did an episode, she and I, where we were riffing and she became Officer Randy. So sorry if you don't get that reference. Do subscribe to Patreon. Totally worth it, especially now that Kendra's there. And especially since we're limiting dead leg to just five posts a month. Go ahead, Kendra. <laughs> 
Oh, let me finish my true crime with Officer Randy story here. Um, I should do an episode where I just read it like Officer Ram- Randy. I almost forgot my name already. She, she's got a more like burly man voice than I do. Like even when I try, like if I try to do it. it <laughs> Thanks uh, a lot. I, well, I'm complimenting you because you're a consummate actress. You can become someone. Okay. Some people merely act. You embody Officer Randy. I'm Officer Randy. You know, <laughs> I can't even do it as well as you can. I'm distracting. Well, <laughs> I'm going to save the voice for the Patreon. So, yes, no don't ruin it. Okay. <laughs> so, Augusta is finally dead. And now Ed is all by himself in this farmhouse. Now, obviously. What could possibly go wrong? Right, exactly. He's fine. He's totally functional and not insane at all. Um, he's left alone in this farmhouse um, and his best friend in the whole world who he described as his true love, like he was, she was the only person he cared for, is gone. The rest mm. of his family is gone. Mm. And he does what any normal person would do and he completely boards up the upstairs where his mother's bedroom was, where she spent most of her time. And he left it completely untouched as a shrine to her. So he took to like the kitchen and there's like a room off the kitchen uh, where he, that's where he spent all of his time. He continued to babysit, do odd jobs and um, read. He started really getting into uh, shipwrecks, Nazis, um, which, I mean, at this time it's 1945. So it's the same uh, as reading the news. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so he's really, really into all this stuff. Um, I read somewhere that he was into death cult magazines, which I Wait don't know. What are the, how are there death cult magazines in 1945? That was my question. So I don't know how accurate the, the, that the is. most controversial printed widely publicated magazine at that time was probably i mean that was even before playboy wasn't it i can't imagine that there's like uh death cult magazines on the other hand you know death cults really you know that's the thing about a cult following is you don't really need a whole lot of them so maybe it was really an underground thing and hitler was known to traffic in occult materials too so who knows well what about this is a little off topic sorry uh betty page wasn't she from the 40s she was and she had kind of an edge to her. You're right. Yeah. That's kind she of was into point. like the bondage stuff. Like that was her, her thing. So I don't jo- know. Maybe Josh, there was. Josh, look into all this, please. Even though you're busy. <laughs> right now. Don't right delay. Now. Don't. We're, we're <laughs> switching topics over to Betty Page and the occult of the 40s. So <laughs> I know you weren't prepared for that at all, Josh. And all of your assets for Ed Gein, just delete those. We're not doing, you're not using those now. In fact, He's let's the, stop the story of Ed Gein right now. And just start talking about Betty Page. No, No. he's not. (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway, so he's reading all of these uh, interesting, you know, things. And one thing that he started getting really kind of obsessive about was the preservation of shrunken heads and um, the exhumation of bodies from all of these reading materials that he's been doing. Um, Another one of his hobbies was to stroll the local cemetery at night. He would go to the graves of women and speak to them. Like that was how he kept company was to go to a graveyard, which I am not knocking because I have been known to stroll a nice cemetery at night. It's very peaceful. I do like to talk to them. 
that was a joke I made before the show, and apparently you actually do it. And so does Ed Gein, one of the most demented people on earth. <laughs> you, I like how you're like, now there's a lot of things that I don't like about Ed Gein, but there are a lot of things I do like. Number one, <laughs> the graveyard walking. All my friends are dead. That's how I keep company with them is by maintaining a creepy vigil all night long out there in the cemetery. Ed Gein. Relatable. It's it's kind of like how I've come out ever since he died. I'm just like, you know, Ted Kaczynski was right about a lot of things. Now, you could even you could actually point out to some things that Ted Kaczynski was right about, you know, the oncoming of dehumanization through the aggression of technology. I'm going to look okay in that light. I don't know that you're going to come out looking okay by likening yourself to Ed Gein. Folks, I'm, let's reserve whoa. judgment to the end of the episode. <laughs> just remember that Kendra is on an Ed Gein trajectory. She's still very young. We don't know how it's going to play out. I've never seen her mother. That's all I'm saying. I haven't seen Kendra's mom or her deceased (laughs) brother. I don't know. I did not attribute myself to the liking of Ed Gein. I simply stated that I do understand his appreciation for a a late night cemetery stroll. It's peaceful. Dead leg, I want you to take this down as a timestamp. I'm going to edit this into a reel in which you, in which Kendra says, "I basically, in other words, I love Ed Gein. <laughs> he's my Nerded. role model. I, I <laughs> he's listening. I he's he's down there in hell listening to this podcast. <laughs> it's it's a, it's an obvious punishment for people in hell. So here's is you, listening to me. Yes, well. <laughs> me as what Thank I meant, you. not you. <laughs> Let's move along. <laughs> as he, <laughs> as the years go on, I say years, like <laughs> maybe months, his, uh, his, his isolation is fueling this obsession. Um, and his nightly strolls kind of turn into a more active hobby. And he begins to dig up these dead bodies. Because As he wants would. to, right? He wants to spend some time with them. He's lonely. He doesn't have anybody. He misses his mom. I mean, that's a normal course of action, right? But when you said he doesn't have anybody, was that a pun? <laughs> no, but <laughs> we can we can call well, it that. He does not have anybody yet. He was about to get a body by digging it up. Go ahead. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> he would read the uh, obituaries to pinpoint who had been recently buried and he would go dig those women up essentially um yes he later says that he never um had any sort of sexual encounter with any of these uh bodies um sometimes he would take pieces of a body sometimes he would take an entire body with him um but he had this fascination of peeling their skin. And that was that was his thing. He liked to peel their skin and wear it because he had a a fascination with women fueled by his absolute insanity that I'm sure he was born with. And then his mother uh turned it on essentially by treating him like property all of his life and abusing him. And he was really, really fascinated with the power that he felt women held over men. And he wanted to be a woman. He wanted to experience that. Hmm. So he would make hmm. these 
he would make um, clothing articles out of these women's skin. And Deranged, insane man wants to be woman. The 1945 edition. Shocking. I know. Now, this part is what I think inspired, obviously, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and uh, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. Because he, you know, that, that song, Goodbye Horses, where he's like dancing around. He tucks himself in. Yeah. Yeah. So he would do this. And he one of the things he said is he wanted to know what it would feel like to have uh Bob and Vagon. <laughs> I'm or sorry. Can boobs. we be adults? Can we be adults, please? <laughs> this is an adult podcast uh, for adults. So I was hoping you'd get that. Obviously, you didn't because you're like really old. Um, but there's like this Ouch. joke going around. Well, you made a comment about me being young, so I'm gonna tell you. Well, it's not fair if it happens to me. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I take it back. You're not old. You. There's a joke going around where like Indian men will message women like in indian like from india and they obviously their their first language is not english but they'll like message these people these women on facebook and ask them for um boob and vagina pics but they say bob and vagan they always misspell it because they don't know how to anyway well, even i have received <laughs> like misspelled solicitations for explicit photos i get that they don't they're not always from india either Anyway, back to Bob and Vagan. Not just so, a morning, not just a morning show on your on your local <laughs> FM station. It's more than just that. It does sound like that. That's funny. <laughs> anyway, he wanted to know what it would be like to have boobs and a vagina, so he would he would do it. He would get boobs and vaginas and wear them. He would uh, he would excise them from the dead and then craft a suit and then put them on. So uh -huh. Look at himself in the mirror. To finally have yes. that power that women have for them for himself yes um also throughout this process of him feeding into this obsession of his he started to collect again i told you earlier he had a fascination with shrunken heads so he had a collection of obviously body parts and and heads that he kept in his house and remember he was a trusted babysitter he was friends with a lot of the kids in the area and he would tell them these stories these weird stories that he would concoct from his own actions. And then also some of the stuff that he was reading. A couple of boys had come over to his house and he showed them these heads. He's like, Hey, look at my shrunken heads here. And the boys would tell people, but nobody believed them. It, they're like, you're telling tales. Ed wouldn't do that. He's harmless. They just kind of brushed it off. Cause it's like too fantastical to believe. I'm sure. My mom wouldn't even let me go talk to the guy with a snake two houses over. So <laughs> the 80s were a different time than the 40s. That's for sure. The snake? He had, well, he came outside. He had an actual snake. I didn't go inside his house. Although okay, well, someday we'll have to do a true crime podcast about the shit that happened to me in the 80s before you were born, which, you know, we, we cleaned up the world <laughs> a lot before you even got here. So things, things in the 80s oh. were pretty fucked up. Thanks. Well, everything's on fire. So you didn't do a good job. Um, well, yeah, but we have <laughs> we have few, we have fewer. Okay, anyway, I don't want to get into it. Okay. All right. So Ed's doing our boy Ed over here is doing his uh, fuck shit for a while, and in <laughs> November, in November of 1957, 
Um, locals reported that a hardware store owned by Bernice Warden was locked all day long, which was very unusual. Um, around 9.30, somebody said, 9.30 a.m., somebody said that they'd seen the truck come from the back of the hardwoods, hardware store and drive away. So they thought the, the logical explanation for these people was that she went hunting because I guess it was hunting season. So they didn't really think anything of it, but it was weird because she never was closed. If it was business hours, she was open. So around 5 p.m., uh, Bernice's son, uh, Deputy Sheriff Frank Warden, came by to help her close up and, you know, do the nightly stuff. He enters the shop. He looks around. He can't find his mother, but he notices the cash register is open and there's a giant blood stain on the floor. So naturally he's rounding up the troops to find his mom. He's, he's thinking a robbery happened. Um, he's doing some digging himself. He figures out that Ed Gein was the last customer of the night, the night prior. And he had told Bernice that he was going to come back in the morning for a gallon of anti antifreeze. Well, when he was checking the receipts, the last receipt that she'd written that morning of her disappearance was to Ed Gein for a gallon of antifreeze. So now they're looking for Ed Gein for robbery and suspected kidnapping. They find him at a local grocery store. They apprehend him. They take him in for questioning. Meanwhile, detectives go to the Gein farmstead and they begin their search for Bernice. Um, there's deputies, I'm sure, like, like we said, the town was extremely small. So I can't imagine they had a police department. So most of these people are deputies. Um, and again, it's, well, it's 57 at this point. So, but it's still back in the day. There's not a lot around. It's a farm town. These deputies have probably never experienced something like this. I and they're going... I would wager that not a whole lot of people uh, who didn't, you know, go over to Europe and see the death camps or, or things like that. I, I, don't, I doubt there's many police officers who have seen anything remotely like this anywhere. Yeah, that's true. And again, Ed was, you know, this is kind of a shock. They're like, Ed is like totally harmless. He's a little weird, but he's never done anything wrong. We trust him with our children. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> you think that they had a cringe moment or like, oh man, he was watching my kids. Oh man. <laughs> like it's the it's nineteen fifty-seven and we don't even believe in counseling yet, but I'm definitely taking my kids for counseling right now. <laughs> Especially the kids that saw the the fucking heads and like heard him tell his creepy ass stories, like you believe you me now, think, mom? <laughs> do you think do you think kids are resilient? Do you think it didn't really affect them that much? I mean, you know, shrunken heads being a thing i mean it's not i mean i was aware of that when i was a kid it wasn't something that like i had a lot of you know i wasn't looking at a lot of pictures and things like that but it's like you you know you know things like that you know that there's uh other cultures out there you know um, voodoo and things like that and you know south pacific type stuff you know the, where and just all over the world really where there's bizarre death rituals and things like that like mm -hmm. uh, i think i don't know is it in polynesia or where is it at where uh uh, it's customary to eat the dead. Like, you know, you, you barbecue them up and then, you know, it's 
that's just a cannibalistic ritual. Maybe these kids, you know, maybe it, maybe it didn't bother them as much as as we as we think it would now. Maybe we're we're more sensitive now, and we don't. And kids were tougher back then. I don't know. I think you're probably right about that. I don't think that back then, death and morbid topics and just like a depressive life, depressing lifestyle was a lot more prevalent. I think. So I don't think kids back then were probably as sensitive to like the kids that would be now. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not one to talk because I love shit like that. Even as a kid, like I wanted to be a medical examiner Yeah. when I was a kid. So for me, it'd be cool. But yeah, I don't know. That That's a good, that's a good point. I think they're probably a and little I, more tough. On the other side of the spectrum, you know, I, I used to cry even when I went to watch episodes of Psych on USA just because it was too scary for me. Oh, oh. Is, is that why you got upset when I sent the picture of the corpse with no warning? Yes. Speaking of okay. pictures, do we do we want to give a, uh, a special uh, viewer discretion advised heads up here uh, and have Dadleg throw up some pictures on the screen of uh, the terrible acts of Ed Gein? Or are we saving it for a better point <laughs> of the story? Yeah, hold on. Don't do hold the on, one. everyone. Hold on. Don't do the one that is gross because that part is like literally the next part of this episode. But I will say, if you're watching this and like I'm not a trigger warning person, but this is pretty disgusting. So just like you know, something gross is coming. I wish I had gotten a trigger it. warning this morning. I woke up to a group text that was beyond the pale horrifying. No, You'll no be all right. Can... We'll see. <laughs> anyway. So investigators are at the Gein uh, farmstead and they're doing a, a search of the, of the house and the property and all that good stuff. Um, Sheriff Arthur Schley, I hope I'm saying that right. That's how it's spelled. Really cool name. Um, he started his search in a wooden shed with his little flashlight. And as he's walking through this shed, he feels something brush up against his jacket. He turns to look and he, when he first lays his eyes upon this sight he thinks okay there's a deer it's deer season we're in plainfield uh wisconsin this is normal but he starts to kind of like realize what he's looking at and what he's really looking at is the dangling mutilated corpse of bernice warden oh yes bernice had been shot in the head with a 22 caliber rifle assuming that was at the, the store because of the blood. She'd been driven back to the Gein farm. She was strung upside down in the woodshed. She was decapitated, uh, gutted, and field dressed like a deer. Ugh. And Ugh. that is that's the picture. <laughs> God damn it, dead leg. I don't mean to laugh because it's very indignant. And I, I, I kind of feel bad that she, her... Um, demise is public information now like that. That's very, um, I get. Thank you for saying that she was, you know, a person at some point. We look at it now in, in, in horror and in sort of, uh, in a, in a morbid awe, we do need to confront and know what evil does in this world. We can't hide from it. I know Tansy is that he, that's why he likes the show is because we show what evil is. You just saw it on the screen. But that was a person with dignity, and uh, you know they were obviously stripped of that. So we just—I know that case is you know 
70 years old or whatever and that picture is probably well trafficked but just horrifying and uh just wanted to recognize that she that was a person and uh, ed gein is a monster go ahead and it hits close to home too because her son was a deputy sheriff and there's a lot of people watching this who are law enforcement i mean imagine if that was your mother and now the world gets to see that i mean that's it is it is really crappy that that's that's how her that's how people know her is based because of that yeah, there's more. There's probably more pictures of her like that than there were, uh, than there were of her uh, as as mm-hmm. as a living person, or at least those pictures never got as much traffic as that one did because they're not Correct. as sensational, obviously. Yep, and we're all just mm, never mind. Um, okay, so <laughs> we're chatting after the show. Yeah, unfortunately for the deputies, there was more for them to find inside of the farmhouse. And their search would uncover a scene from House of a Thousand Corpses, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Have you seen any? Have you seen those? For the purposes of this podcast, I have seen each of those films multiple okay. times. Perfect. So the investigators collected a series of morbid items um, and human remains, and they are as follows. I'm going to read you a list. A bowl made from a human skull, a wastebasket, lampshades, and an armchair made from human skin, a belt made of nipples, a pair oh, of lips that one used was too as much. a pair of lips that were used as a curtain pool, nine female genitalia and four noses in a shoebox, human bones, bone fragments, and female fingernails which is a great band name, by the way. Skulls attached to Ed's bedpost. Female skulls with the top sawn off. A young woman's dress and the vulvas of two girls estimated to be about 15 years of age. Bernice's head in a burlap sack and her heart in a plastic bag. A mask made from a woman's face along with her skull in a box. And the humdinger, a two-piece suit made entirely of human skin. The top piece was uh, made in a corset type of fashion with um, the skin of a woman from her shoulders to her waist and a pair of leggings made from the leg skin of another woman. You guys remember that episode of True Crime I hosted in the past that was just about aliens? We were just really loose with it man if those were the good old days why did, why did i have to get thrown in on this disgusting case the nipple belt was just way too much this guy is a why did you <laughs> yeah. gosh, you are fired <laughs> hell out of here take it off the street <laughs> my god i mean this is just beyond the pale i mean you you have to be a special kind of demented not only just to think up such a thing to have it in your mind like this would make a great belt to think that but then to like actually perpetrate it is horrifying and I can't imagine these investigators for the rest of their lives, you know, obviously like they, their whole worldview was probably changed by this and their nightmares were obviously a shade darker for the rest of their lives. And just, uh, and unfortunately imagine you mentioned all all the body parts and all the people that were found in the house, all those unsolved missing people unsolved murders. Can you imagine holding out hope that, you know, your daughter is going to return and then, uh, and then finding this out, someone breaking it to you that she's dead is bad enough. But then, then of course, you go to the trial of Ed Gein, and uh, you know you're having to uh, understand what your how your daughter 
or your loved one and what they went through at the hands of this monster. It's just, it's beyond the pale. The number of people that he, uh, he has injured, not only physically, but uh, psychologically, it's just insane. And I'm, I'm the latest of Ed Gein's victims. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Damn it, Ed Gein. Well, it gets worse. So hold on. Oh man. Um, Dad, like, don't you dare. I say worse. I mean, the gross stuff is kind of over, but the inferiority. Yeah. Not inferiority. Infuriating. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, was that was that so, a, was that a Freudian slip calling calling me inferior there? <laughs> I wasn't calling you inferior. I was calling Ed Gein inferior. Oh, okay. <laughs> so naturally, then after finding all this disgusting stuff, the first question is: Where did our boy get all of these corpses? Where did he get his material from? Um, Ed Gein, when he was being questioned, he maintained that he did not murder any of those people except for Bernice because he was caught red-handed. He claims that he got all of his material from graves that he'd visited throughout the years. He dug them up, either took them whole or, you know, dismembered them or whatever. <clears throat> the problem with this is that throughout the last, like, decade or so multiple people in the area had gone missing just under really odd circumstances and one of the um one of the items that was found a face mask was the face of a woman named uh mary hogan and she had gone missing some years earlier she was a tavern owner somebody walked in kind of similar to bernice's situation saw bloodstains on the floor there were no leads. It went cold, but they realized that this was her. Um, unfortunately, that was the only person that they could um, connect Ed Gein to. I think there was probably, I want to say five others, including two children that had gone missing uh, that they never could find or attribute to Ed Gein, but they were pretty sure that he, he did it. Um, of course, naturally they went and checked the graveyards. They, they dug up the graves that he pointed out. The coffins were tampered with and the bodies were either missing or dismembered. So he was telling the truth on that. Um, I do believe that he, maybe not all of them, because two of them were men. They left a bar and just vanished into thin air. Um, all of his other victims are female. So I don't know about those two, but I do believe he was involved with the others the children and because they did find body parts that belong to teenagers in the home. But, you know, you can't identify, especially back then, you can't identify based on just one part unless it's somebody's face. Anyway, I digress. Wow. So no, no, no DNA back then. It was uh, even, mm -hmm. they had, I believe they had blood typing, but I mean, that's, you know, that's something that we're not even really dealing with in this. So. Right. Exactly. So, um, Ed, Ed Gein, again, he's maintaining that he's like, okay, well, yeah, I killed Mary, I killed Mary and Bernice, but that's it. I didn't kill anybody else. They found, <laughs> which at that, at that point, I mean, once they're in your house, you might as well just confess to the whole damn thing. It's just like, I know this looks bad, but it's not as bad as you think. And they're like, we think it's a lot more bad than even we think it is. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually really fucking terrible Ed. like we haven't um, even like fully we can't even fully comprehend how bad you are like 
this guy over here is, has been throwing up constantly since we went to your house. He's, <laughs> he's done. He'll never be a cop again. We're, we're right. giving him an IV of fluids right now. He's so disgusted by you. <laughs> I'm going to vomit when I get home because I'm a professional, you know. Oh, of course. You got to hold it in. Or at least mm -hmm. get into your car, drive away for mm -hmm. a little bit. <laughs> and <So>. cry. <laughs> <laughs> cry and throw up. <laughs> so other than the murdering, Ed was very open with investigators about his atrocities. And he would kind of like our girl Taylor, Shabusiness, he was laughing. He was very jovial. Um, they described him as childlike when he was explaining some of the things that he was doing. He didn't really see anything wrong with it. Probably because in his sick and disgusting mind, they were already dead. So, most of them. Some of them were not. But um, maybe he felt like, well, they're not using it. How? <laughs> I'll I don't use know it. what I is know. I don't know what his rationale was. I mean, it's beyond it's beyond I I don't think it's something that you you and I no hopefully hopefully both of us I hope that it's something that you and I can never understand. I've never met you in real life. I have no idea how how creepy you are. I know that you have a lot of things going against you, uh, like being five one, and then the the midnight whole midnight uh, graveyard walk thing. You know I don't know if we're, we're <laughs> probably going to be real close friends, but. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that's for the better, John, for your maybe, safety. Maybe. Do I fascinate you? You're well. You are like seven feet tall. That's pretty fascinating. You want to know what it's like to be tall? You want to wear a tall suit? See, that's what worries <laughs> me about short people. That's why I'm scared of you. How long are your shin bones? <laughs> Too long. Fuck. Your shin bones. Your what is that? Your tibia and your. Fibia. I'm gonna get them. I'm gonna get them reduced before I meet you. That's for damn sure. Okay. Great. Anyway, so um, Ed is obviously interviewed by some psychologists, some experts on the brain at the time, um, and they declare him to be criminally insane. He's, Boy, that makes the rest of us feel better. Yeah. Yeah, he's schizophrenic. They called him uh, sexually. It was some sort of schizophrenia that had to do with sex. I I can't remember exactly what it was called, yeah. but they declared him this. Totally just like his, he's done. He's not even a human at this point, pretty much. Mm -hmm. So against all reality, of the, yeah. yes, against all of the protests from the community and from the families of these victims, the judge sentences him to a state hospital for the criminally insane. Oh, man. Kind of good news. Ten years later. He's found fit to withstand trial. Nice. In 1968, he goes to trial for the uh, first degree murders of Mary Hogan and Bernice Warden. He is found guilty. However, because he was already declared criminally insane at the time of the murders, he was acquitted. Okay. Yeah. Not guilty by mental disease or defect, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You can't, if you said it once, you can't take it can't, back. Can't unsay it. Yeah, I mean, it's how are you going to keep that from being uh, admitted in court? Obviously, the defense is going to heavily rely on that. At that at that point, you just yeah. lean into it. I know that uh, a lot of times, it's not you know, diminished capacity cases are are successful less than like one percent of the time. So unlike Law and Order and other TV shows where they try to order, where they try to plea, you know, not guilty by mental disease or defect 
It's actually not at all that common in real life for people to do that. It's very unsuccessful that that happens. However, if you've already been committed for 10 years and uh, honestly, like the the severity of and, and grotesque nature of his crimes almost kind of helps him because it's like, do you do you really want to believe that this guy is completely with it? Do you want to say like, yeah, this guy knew what he was doing the whole time because it, it makes him a lot more more dangerous. It's easier to just say, well, this guy is nuts, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, um, before I get on this tangent, let me finish this real quick. Um, he was acquitted, but he did go back to the state hospital where he spent the rest of his days. He never was out in public again. So he was still like totally fucked in the head. Um, but obviously the families did not feel like they got any justice. Of course, um, during the 10 years that he was in, uh, in the state hospital before his trial, all of his belongings, the farm, everything went up for auction. And there were a couple of entertainment companies that wanted to buy the place and turn it into like an attraction. Oh, the locals were really not happy about this. Um, naturally. And in March of 58, an unknown arsonist set up, set fire to the Gein farmstead and it burnt to the ground with all Honestly, of his stuff in it. That's what I was going to recommend. I was like, you should just mm -hmm. burn that place down, make it and, and remove the foundation, make it as though nothing had ever been there. There's no other there's no other fitting way to deal with a place that's that evil. I agree. That's what they did with John Wayne Gacy's house. Um, they've done that with a lot of other places like that. And they're because the only people that are going to get into a place like that are. Well, uh, true crime be, podcasters. It'd be cool to live in a place like that. But I would feel oh. like I'm exploiting somebody's victimhood, which is disgusting. So I do agree that it would be that's the best way to handle it. It's just to it, demolish the place. It all depends on, uh, your, you know, your reverence, obviously, like places like Auschwitz and Dachau. You had ho comparable horrors going on there or maybe even exceeding horrors. Yes. But it's like we preserve those things so that people don't forget. Uh, we don't want to forget like what happened on that that national stage, that terrible chapter in history. Something like this, though, like we just need to bury it. It needs to be over with. Someone like Ed Gein is is going to serve to inspire prurient people, and we need to make it as though, uh, you know, remember the victims in our hearts, the, let the families remember the victims, but let's let's not exploit or sensationalize it any further. Yes. Let's, not, let's not have a podcast about it. Yeah, of course not. Oh, shit. <laughs> and um, this, Ed Gein's, this case, uh, among many others, but this one in particular, in my opinion, really showcases that nurture versus nature thing. And I'm a firm believer, personally, in that these people who have these horrible uh, affinities and do these disgusting things have something that has was laying dormant in them that they were born with. And then life brought it out of them, whether it's abuse, an injury, trauma of some sort, kind of triggers that just like a just like a breast cancer gene. Okay. Mm -hmm. it, it's a mutated gene. You can be a carrier, you can pass it to your children. And no one will ever experience breast cancer until something triggers that gene to express itself. And now you have breast cancer. I feel like it's similar. Because Ed had a had a brother who experienced the same exact childhood, 
with the same exact people in the same exact circumstances. And he, he saw it for what it was and was trying to break away from it, whether or not he was a good guy. That's up for debate, but it doesn't matter. He didn't have a nipple belt people. There's a line there. You could be an absolute (laughs) piece of shit and you still don't have a nipple belt. Okay. You could be as bad as a person could be and not have a nipple belt. And you're still not an Ed Gein stratosphere. (laughs) Okay. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So I, I do believe that that, and then there's people like, I've brought him up already, but John Wayne Gacy and Gerard Schaefer, which was the first guy I covered, who are just, um, and I would also say what we talked about on Com Center, um, Jody Hildebrandt. Mm-hmm. Some people are just absolute evil, and there was nothing wrong with them. They just yeah. have, they're just, they choose to do that, whether it's if you're a spiritual person, whether it's a demon, or if it's just some people are born bad. Um, I don't think that was necessarily the case with Ed Gein. I think he was a product of, yeah, something was lying dormant and it was activated by his horrible mother. There's a a Um, meme going around that says, I come from a long line of people with something wrong with them. (laughs) That's I kind of related to. Uh, That meme should definitely go out to Ed Gein. You know, if his mother was uh, (laughs) was being abusive to him, you know, Augusta was doing these terrible things. You know, what did Augusta go through? So in a sense, you know, a lot of things are are passed down genetically and other things are passed down, you know, uh, through behaviors and things like that. Learned behaviors. I'm sure Augusta became, you know, as abusive as she was either. she, She either had some sort of novel defect of her own and maybe her mom was fine or her mom was a total evil bitch too you know it's possible that evil touches people like a disease and it gets passed on and gets passed down yes absolutely very philosophical thank you well true crime is kind of philosophical if you think about it what drives these people to do these disgusting horrible outlandish things to other humans most of the time with no remorse i have no idea yeah it's uh it's almost too much to reckon with because uh Mm -hmm. you you know, uh, when I was when I was in college, going back to the whole serial killers are fascinating things, and you see all these movies, particularly like uh, Red Dragon. You know, the the thing is, you always have to think like the killer to understand him. You have to get inside him, and they, you know, they they uh, sensationalize that and they make it all very compelling in terms of a you know a two hour movie or whatever. But I don't want to I don't want to figure that shit out. I don't want to know what's going wrong with them. I don't want to understand it. I just want to. I just want to vanquish it. I hate that shit. I don't want, I don't want to know what goes on with people. And, and in being in this job and Kendra, I'm sure you can uh, back this up too. This again is what makes our show better and different than every other is that we have had to talk to people and interview people and encounter situations in which people are doing just really, really, really terrible things to each other. Things that are just, that would never occur to, to you or me to do. And you have to wonder why. Yep. I know it's seeing it firsthand versus reading about it is very, very different. It's very different. And, um, okay, that was loud. Until you um, experience it for yourself, it's really, um, that's why, like you were saying, I think this show is a little different because it is nothing like researching about it. Mm-hmm. You're, these big podcasters, and I'm not disparaging them at all because I listen to a lot of them, but their full-time job is to read about this research it they live and they breathe it and they tout themselves as investigators or you know they feel the mental effects of these things because they're 
they're inundating themselves with it. And I'm not saying that they don't, but at the same time, until you've experienced it and seen the look in somebody's eyes or heard them say the things like there's a palpable energy that comes off of these people. And it is very disturbing. It's beyond what I think you could possibly comprehend unless you actually encounter one of these people. I completely and, agree. Yeah. When, when I worked in the prison, I, uh, I, I, I encountered people that were genuinely evil. We had, we had at least one person there that I knew of that was a serial killer. We had another guy there who, uh, who, uh, he was especially disturbing. He had raped his daughter every day since she was a teenager and she was a fully grown adult. She, he continued to rape her every day. She got married to a man who was her husband. This guy raped her husband as well. So every single day he raped his daughter and his son-in-law. That's the kind of person that, that I encountered when I was working in the prison. And of course, I've encountered other 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 genuine e- genuinely evil people just since I've been a, a 911 dispatcher, which got me out of the field, thank God. But it's like when you're around these people and you see them every day and they're real and you know what they're in there for. And there's, there's other people that are just genuinely just outwardly evil. Like they don't even conceal it. They don't even pretend to be normal until you're around that. It's completely different. And that's my experience. I've still never walked into a barn and seen a woman trust like a deer, you know? Yeah. I can't imagine that. I, I've, I've seen a couple of really like things where you're like, Oh God, but that is, that's like something out of a, out of a horror movie. I don't, I mean, I can't imagine seeing that and then just going home to your family. I'm, I'm like, sure. Oh, okay. it, I'm sure it ruins and destroys your family. Do you, do you, can you imagine these poor detectives going home? Do you have a good day at work, honey? <laughs> <laughs> they, they're just like, I'll never be. Hell yeah, man. brother! <laughs> except Hell Officer, yeah! Except Officer Randy. I seen some real fucked up shit today. <laughs> he, Officer Randy, loves that shit. He doesn't have a wife or kids. No, and he never. He will. lives and breathes the job, and he never will. we're gonna come up with a backstory for him it's gonna be a good one too that that may come out at some point and if you don't know who officer randy is again i feel sorry for you i feel pity for you because that was pretty funny (laughs) so so he ended up going to the mental hospital for the rest of his life whatever became of him is he still alive (laughs) no (laughs) he was born in 1906 no He's, I just he's want a little closure. No, he, he died. He's 123 for fuck's sakes. He, he, he died at Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Comfortable and happy. Just oh, living his life. That's too and bad. That is, that is the story of Ed Gein. It's a, it's a rough one. Do you know what's the worst part about stories like these is that, um, you know, these people who are like Ed Gein and there may not be anyone exactly like him, but they definitely lack a conscience, like you said, but they have zero empathy. They can't perceive any other people as anything other than objects. And it makes me sad because he died happy and comfortable. As you said, he never understood terror. He never understood victimhood. He never understood being at the mercy of someone else really. Uh, and that, that, that makes me sad because that's the only thing the way it would be justice in this case is if he understood you know, grief, remorse, revulsion, any, any of the things that any of the people who were touched by this case felt. And I, and I doubt that he ever felt any of those things. So that, that makes me mad. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's and, the sad and what I'm about that. what I'm worried about, Kendra, is that you're going to find a way to actually equalize. Where you go out to Wisconsin and dig his ass up and turn his nipples into a belt or something. If <laughs> no, you <laughs> give it, red leg. Josh, you are fired. <laughs> if you see me wearing a pair of nipple earrings, you'll know. I will stop being. I'm not joking. I will never. Oh my god, just don't. Don't even joke about it. Why did I have to be on this episode? You you wanted this. I, you you, you came this. you came to me begging and pleading for me to to include you and you cried I and did. i i felt so bad for you that i said yeah that's fine i will well, kill eric tanzi and replace him with you yeah since you want you, this so bad you know i did want the show for a long time and this just <laughs> don't don't want things well you know what? I'm already going to replace you because next week, my friend Victoria, who's also oh. a law enforcement officer, is going to be bringing us a case. She's going to be bringing a case to me that I've never heard of. It is based. It's a case that is um, inspired the movie Strangers. Oh, the I Strangers. You should watch it before next week so that you can okay. get an idea of kind of like what's going on. It's a really, it's really, really good. There's two of them. The second one's better in my opinion, but Okay, we'll that's, I'll look into it. <laughs> it's very good. So she'll be bringing us that case, and then there'll be three more Tuesdays filled with this Halloween horror movie depravity. So I love it. Looking forward to it. It's a spooky season. Uh, we wish everybody out there in the Wolf Pack to have a, a blessed Halloween. On behalf of Kendra. <laughs> Ned Leg, who I am going to rip a new one in only a figurative sense because of, of the body horror on the show. <laughs> we will wish everybody a good night. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Guns up. Giddy up. Good night, America. And Kendra. <laughs> I'll see you guys next week. Until then, stay safe and don't get yourself true crimed.